Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Heyo friends, it's off-season episode number 96 here on Fantasy NBA Today. We sprint, now we kind of roll softly into a new week. And yes, there is one remaining sports betting episode here of Fantasy NBA Today. All of you folks that are sick and tired of season win totals, fear not. This is the last one. And then we won't talk about it on the pod anymore. No adjustments over the Yahoo uh, preseason rank board. At least nothing substantial. Looks like the top 25 are all pretty much intact at this point. So we don't have that to go through yet. I still think there's going to be another adjustment coming. I don't, I don't know when the hell it's going to be, but it's it's coming. And we are still... Nope! Excuse me! Holy smokes! You guys get to hear my reaction live on air. Uh, when I checked last night, it wasn't there. When I checked just now, ADP data! It is there, ladies and gentlemen. And guess what? No surprises. Yahoo's pre-ranks have pretty much steered everybody to ADP's right where these dudes were getting pre-ranked. Almost no surprises in the early going, but hot diggity damn. We can start looking through ADP data tomorrow. We'll break all of that down. We'll work on our third pass with the buckets. That's all coming up. We will have mock drafts coming up as well. Oh, it's time. It's time. Not yet, but very soon. ADP data is out if you guys want to take a a pre-look at that before we break it down on the podcast. But today we've got one division left, and that is the Atlantic Division. Float into that here in just a moment. First, I'm Dan Bespris. Still, that hasn't changed. At Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This is a sports ethos presentation. Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Shout out, as always, to our... Brand new baseball for this year and football as of like a couple weeks ago. Divisions at Sports Ethos. Extraordinarily exciting time. We'll be spreading all of that into the DFS realm as well. We've had DFS on the NBA side for a couple years now. Oh boy. Man, it's a good time to be at Sports Ethos. You guys should join us. And I say that because the next thing I needed to talk about before we dive into the sports betting stuff for the day is... If you guys want to be a part of what we're doing here at Sports Ethos, we are recruiting. All this growth is going to open up some opportunities. Want to write about football? Cool. Want to write about baseball? Cool. Obviously, basketball. Want to do DFS on any of those three? Want to do fantasy on any of those three? You want to cover a team in any of those sports? Holler at me. Dan Bespris on Twitter or email roster at sportsethos.com. Sportsethos.com. I'm going to assume that most of you know how this has been going. So just very quickly, uh, this is the sixth and final division. We're breaking down season win totals, which I think is actually a fantastic exercise and just sort of what to expect. It also puts us in position, for those of you that want to see the fantasy angles here, to know uh, what players are more likely to play down the stretch, what are teams likely to be playing for. Vegas sets these numbers for a reason. So when you see a team with a number like, oh, I don't know, 44, 45 wins, you should be thinking, oh, okay, play in tournament. Do they want to get into it? Do they want to get above it? These are extra games played for key guys 
This is fantasy relevant too, although at the same time, I think I'd rather we just win some money on it on the betting side as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, deal with it. <laughs> I've been writing all of these up as I've done them. Uh, I still need to write an intro page, but then that'll go up over at Sports Ethos because every year we do uh, Dan Vespris tries to predict all 30 teams and see how it goes. I think the top plays will probably go in the wager pass for those that want to get down on those as well. But you guys have been hearing it here on the podcast. You can probably figure it out in any event. Atlantic Division, Boston Celtics, the highest number on the board, not just in the Atlantic Division, but in the entire NBA. Celtics season win total is an absurd 55. Five and a half, three higher than the Bucks, the Suns, or the Clippers. They're way out in their own spot. 55 and a half. And, you know, it might be one of those scenarios where that's a number that they had to put it high because you kind of just couldn't put it high enough for a very good basketball team. But I can't go that high. So I'm going under on 55 and a half. If for no other reason than only two teams did better than that last year, the Suns who I still don't really know why they went so hard in the regular season, and the Grizzlies, who they went hard in the regular season because they had kind of a something that was working. It was building good feelings among the team, and so they just kept racking up wins, and they still only cleared it by one. The Heat led the East, remember, last year in 50, with 53 wins. Celtics 51-31. and 31. Now, admittedly, remember, Boston was basically a 500 team 30 games into the season, so after that final 50 games they effectively went 20 games over 500 that's pretty freaking good that's like 35 and 15 at that pace yeah obviously they would get to this 55 mark the problem is it's a crazy high number for a team that got battered and bruised in a long long grueling playoffs you know, sometimes you can look back at a team that rolled through the playoffs. They played like four games, one series, and then five the next, and then another five, and then maybe they had to fight it out in the finals or something like that. Celtics pretty much, after the Nets, who they steam trained, they pretty much were going the distance the whole way through. I think it went like four, seven, seven, six. Does that sound right? I didn't go back and look that up. That's just what my brain is telling me. But they had these long, drawn-out series. It might have been six, seven, six. I know it took seven to get by the Bucks, so that one you can quote me on. That was, I mean, ridiculous playoffs for them, and they ended up losing. That's honestly the only thing that gives me pause about this number, is that the Celtics didn't win the championship, so perhaps they are coming back this season with a chip on their shoulder. But what kind of chip do you really need during an 82-game regular season? What are you trying to prove at that point? You've proven... You were the best team in your entire conference. So what? What do you need? They're more than good enough to avoid the play-in tournament, which last year, uh, 44 wins was the number to be at the top of the play-in. It'll probably be something similar to that this season. They're way out in front of that, Mark. So they don't have to worry about getting chased down by a play-in spot. They were right in a big bucket, a cluster with the Heat, the Celtics, the Bucks, the Sixers. Actually, sorry, the Celtics, they're in that. This, the Bucks and the Sixers, they were tied with last year at 51 wins apiece. Celtics held the tiebreaker. Raptors were at 48 wins. Bulls were at 46. Like, the, these teams, the Bulls are probably not catching them. The Raptors are probably not catching them. Sixers, 
Bucks, Heat, these teams are all going to be very good. It's going to be the same four jockeying at the top, most likely. So what's the, what is the big pressure being put on the Celtics to go win 56 games? I don't think there's any. They were great last year after a slow start. I expect there will be some kind of lull this year. Maybe you finally see Jason Tatum miss a couple of ball games. Yeah, they're a deep team. They added Malcolm Brogdon. That was good. Team that needed firepower at times because their defense is going to be excellent. Time Lord's going to miss his games with the knee. Horford is great, but he's getting older. There's all this just little stuff that I don't think is going to derail them, but it is enough for them to, to just take a breath. Okay, let's give Big Al a little breather. Let's give Time Lord's knee a little breather. Let's maybe not go at full bore. Because they had to go full tilt after that slow start last year. They don't this season. Get to the playoffs with good energy, with health, and you're fine. 55 whims would get that done. It's a big number. I mean, it could be a sucker bet to go under because it's so high, but it's too high for me. It's too high. I lean under. Not my favorite play in the division, but... Uh, Sixers over 49 and a half is our lean on that one. Also a pretty big number, but at the same time, Philly was at 51 and 31 last year. They proved last year that they can win on the road, which is a really big deal. Something they didn't actually do in prior seasons. They were solid within their own conference, not spectacular and just honestly consistent all season long. Philly was consistent. And some of that's because Joel Embiid finally played 68 out of 82 ball games. Only missed, what is that? It's 14. What's 14 out of 82? I don't know. Eight and change is 10%, another four. So it's like 15%, roughly. Do I think Embiid's only going to miss 15% of games again this year? You certainly can't bank on it. I don't know for sure either direction. I'm sure that getting around that number is probably the goal for Embiid. Get to about 68. But at the same time, I actually believe that the reason Philly goes over isn't so much about Joel Embiid. Because maybe he misses four extra games. Maybe he plays in one extra. Maybe he misses six. That stuff actually doesn't freak me out. Now, if he misses 35, 40 games, then yes, this, this bet goes straight into the toilet. But provided his number is somewhere missed between like 12 and 19, we're fine on the Embiid front. The reason I like the Sixers is actually because of how they changed the story within their own organization this offseason. And that's all James Harden. First of all, let me start by saying that I think what James Harden did to get out of Houston was not cool, but also kind of funny. I don't lump him in with the with Kevin Durant right now or Paul George leaving Oklahoma City. Harden spent a lot of time in Houston. They tried a lot of different things. He had a good run there. His, most of his career in, in Houston. So for him to finally just be like, look, I got to get out of this place. I, I don't really blame him for that. I think there was probably a better way to do it than, you know, messing with COVID rules and eating his way out of town, but whatever. And then the Brooklyn thing, I don't think I can blame him again because did you see the freaking clown show that the Nets were last season? He didn't help the situation, but good Lord. So Harden was fat. That's the long and short of it. And not shaming him in any way, but he was out of shape. And when you're not 24 anymore, and even for some 24-year-olds in the NBA, you still have to keep in shape, 
the knees are going to break down, the hamstrings are going to break down, all that stuff. He couldn't carry the weight that he was. His body wasn't designed for it. All the little quick stuff that he needs to do to kind of bend the NBA rules, which everybody hates Harden's game. I actually, I've always been someone who liked to watch someone else like for video games for me, this was the way I can equate it because I'm not a super athletic guy and the sports that I do play are ones that are more about being very precise as opposed to being able to jump out of the gym. I can't jump out of the gym. So with Harden, uh, he, the, it's, some of it sort of played to me, like the music worked. I always like to watch someone else do something and analyze it and see what they're missing and then go do it better. I don't want to be the first person to do it. Harden's that same way. He looked at the rules, and he was like, what can I do? I'm not the guy that can jump over the the rim, but I'm the guy that can look, and I can do these weird things that no one else can do, and that's how I'm going to get my advantages. I actually kind of respect that. There is a there's a there's uh, an analyst thing going on to his, his basketball game. But all of that aside, forget how you feel about James Harden or his game. What he did for the Sixers with his contract, changed their story from one of, oh, Sixers flamed out in the playoffs again, which, by the way, they didn't flame out. They lost to a team that was better than them. But that was the story. Even when it happened, I think I came on the pod and I said, why are people saying the Sixers flamed out? They lost to a team that was better. Well, guess what? Instead of the story around the Sixers being, oh, they lost to, lost to a team that was better, or, oh, they flamed out, or whatever kind of negative feel... Suddenly, they've got positive feel. Tyrese Maxey. Oh, everybody loves Tyrese Maxey. And you should. He's good. And, oh, James Harden took less money so the Sixers could bring in some hard-nosed veterans to help them get over the playoff hump. There's good vibes in Philly. Honestly, like, the vibes in Philly right now feel better than right after the Harden trade because he was hurt. He didn't even play right when he first came over. He was still out of shape. And the offseason has all been the James Harden getting skinny workout videos, which is great. Like, that's all he needed to. Harden in the gym was something we all needed to see because it was Harden in the club for a while at Houston and then probably in Brooklyn. Or Harden at the, you know, all-night pizza shop or whatever. But Harden in the gym, this is good. We didn't, I don't even really think I needed to see those videos to know that he was taking things more seriously because we already knew it. From him saying and doing all the team-first stuff he's done in Philadelphia, that already told me that he was serious about this. He knows he's on the downslope. There is a self-awareness that's happened now with Harden that other players in the NBA should take a frickin' lesson from. Looking at you, Russ. Have some self-awareness. He can't take less money, but, you know, he could have some self-awareness. Pardon to say, look, if I want a chance to win a title, I need to do something that's team first. And so he did. I think the team loves it. In fact, I I know they do. Oh, my God, this guy who could have gotten paid more took a little bit less money so that we could all be better and have a better shot to win. I love it. I love it. Philly goes over because... Everything screams good mood. The only way that that thing gets blown off is if they get to a terrible start. Now, speaking of good moods, there is not one in Brooklyn where the season win total number is 45 and a half, and I'm going under that mark. Although I will say, I think this number at 45 and a half is already built 
with Kevin Durant being traded. If KD gets traded, maybe it inches down a tiny bit more, but that's already a pretty low number for a team that, if oddsmakers thought they were going to have both Kyrie and KD. Still, I don't think it's low enough. I like Kyrie Irving's uh, basketball game. He's very, very good, but he's not a very good defensive player. He's going to miss some games this season. It's just who he is. And then when you look at the other stuff on that team, uh, do we know Ben Simmons is actually going to play this year? I still don't, not sure that I trust that. If negative publicity starts coming down the pike at Simmons, the mental stuff we've been talking about with him or that he's been talking about, that could come back. It may never have left. We still haven't seen him play a competitive basketball game. And the back stuff with Simmons, I think, armchair psychiatrist here, thinks is linked to the mental stuff. So whatever you... Whatever you consider here, I'm not sure I believe he's playing. And Simmons alone is not going to fix the Nets' defense, which was absolutely atrocious last year. If if KD gets traded for, I don't know, we've heard the Grizzlies might be getting involved, there's really almost no one besides Jalen Brown that could come back that would make the Nets a good basketball team. Most of the guys coming back would keep the Nets at decent. The Nets are going to be decent this year. They're going to win some games with offense. If Kyrie sticks around, there's still a chance he gets traded too, by the way. That would move this number down quite a bit. So I think there's a few reasons to look at the under. First, if they do trade a bunch of guys out and get picks and other guys back, the guys coming back won't be as good as the dudes being sent out. So that'll bring the number down. Second, like, the Nets weren't very good last year. They were 44 wins this last season. Do folks really think they're going to be better this year? I don't. Last year, they had Harden for half a year. KD for almost the entire season, minus an injury. Kyrie for the last, you know, 20-some-odd games. So what are we doing here? KD is probably going to be gone. I know there's all this talk about them trying to force him to come to training camp. Sounds like he'd probably rather just sit it out. We'll see. I'm not convinced KD suits up for Brooklyn ever again. Most of the reports you're getting from uh, Shams, who does seem to be getting his info from the players, are that KD's still pissed and that Kyrie's okay to just play there, and then everybody else is kind of guessing. So no, I don't think this team wins a bunch of games, especially in an East that, in my estimation, is getting the, the sort of lowest tide is higher, as in the crappiest cars on the road got a little bit faster. So there just aren't going to be as many easy games, and Brooklyn's going to lose to easy games. (laughs) What I mean by that is they're going to lose to bad teams because they don't play defense. So bad teams are going to hang with them. I don't know what we think is mass, like these big changes. Maybe does Brooklyn somehow end up with Miles Turner and Buddy Heald? That might get him over 45 and a half. But Desmond Bain and a bunch of picks. We've heard the Grizzlies are involved. That doesn't, I don't think, get them over 45 and a half. A Raptors trade might. I wouldn't put any money down on Brooklyn right now, by the way. I should add add that part. There's way too much uncertainty to bet into this team. But right now, I would much prefer the under, if you were going to try to guess on what's going to happen. I don't know what's going on with this Toronto number. They won 48 games last year. The number's 44 and a half, and their roster is largely intact. And I feel like I'm missing something obvious, and I'm just going to get smacked right upside the head like two weeks into the season. But when you look at the Raptors, there's 
there's no reason to think that they can't just replicate it. Freddie Van Vliet, still there. Pascal Siakam, still there. Gary Trent, still there. OG Ananobi, hurt for half the season, still there. Scotty Barnes, terrific rookie, should get better, still there. Chris Boucher brought him back as kind of the, the first big off the bench. Isn't Thad back? Thad's back. They have a ton of backup guards on that team. They go generally kind of large <laughs> when Freddie Van Vliet is hurt. And he will miss his 15 to 20 games. Van Vliet always does. But I mean, I'm looking back at this last season and like Scotty Barnes was healthy and Chris Boucher was healthy last year. But in terms of the main guys, like Freddie Van Vliet could easily play in two or three extra games this season. Siakam could get to about that same number. OG Ananobi should, um, should very easily play in more games this year than last. So it wasn't like they were super healthy last year. I'm, I feel like, again, I feel like I'm being s- tricked. But the Raptors are going to want to stay out of the play-in spot, so they know they got to get to 46 wins or higher. I don't know what the thing is I'm looking at here that says they're going to somehow be worse. I know they finished the season strong, so that was helpful. You know, they won eight of their last 10 ball games. They were 40 and 32. And at that point, you're thinking, oh, crap, like how do we get five more wins? But even still, at that point, you only needed to play 50% down the stretch. Just so happened they won 80% of those games and would have gone flying over this number. They, they pummeled their number from this last season. And I feel like they should beat this one too. 46-47 seems very doable. And again, while I feel like maybe I'm being tricked, I like the Raptors over quite a bit. And there just isn't much else to say about that one. This last one I do have a little bit more to say on, and that's the Knicks. Their number is 39.5, which is already, unfortunately, a little puffed up by the fact that they are a big market team. But at the same time, I still think they go over. And I'll tell you why. I know what you're saying. Dan, they were 37 wins last year. Why should they get to 40? And if you think my answer is just going to be Jalen Brunson, well, he does help. Jalen Brunson helps quite a bit because by bringing him in and making him any kind of offensive focal point, the Knicks are already taking the ball out of the hand of Julius Randle which is very much an offensive addition by subtraction situation. Randall was terrible last year. Shot 41% on 17 shots per game. No one else came even close to his usage number. So if we get the typical Knicks defense, which I have every reason to believe that we will for another season... They brought back Mitchell Robinson to handle the interior. He was very good with rim protection last year. Uh, They brought in, I think, one of the best offseason signings in Isaiah Hartenstein to back up Robinson and just be a stellar backup center who ends up probably playing his way into about 20 minutes or more per game. Still got R.J. Barrett, who they like probably more than they should, but he's fine. Still got Fournier, who was meh all season long. Derrick Rose was uh, hurt a lot last year, and the team, by the way, was a lot better when he was on the court. He only played in 26 games, so if you get even a little bit more out of Rose, that's useful. They like Quentin Grimes. They like Emmanuel Quickly. They like Obi Toppin. They've got a lot of things that should actually just be better this coming season. I know Alec Burks played in 81 games last year, but on the whole, the Knicks were, like, you know, they're always 
everybody on the Knicks is going to play through stuff. So to say that they weren't a healthy team is inaccurate because Fournier played in 80 games, quickly played in 78. Randall played in 72, which seems like something he could replicate pretty easily. So I don't want to say necessarily that the team overall health gets better, but critical guy like a Derrick Rose, his health probably does get better. Cam Reddish, if he's still there, his health probably gets better this coming season. So even if you think that someone like Randall or Fournier, or quickly, if you actually care, even if you think those guys play like four or five fewer games this coming season, someone else is going to play probably 15 to 20 more. That'll cover it. Offensively, New York was about as bad as any team I've ever seen last year, and somehow they still won 37 games. They were awful at home and won 37 games. Everything about this team screamed negative regression this last season, and it was after playing way out over their skis two seasons back. And everything for this coming season says Knicks will be a little bit better because they added efficiency. You're going to see more Emmanuel quickly this coming season because they like what he can do. Guards actually really pretty good on the Knicks. And as I said already, getting the ball out of Randall's hands and passing more, and just being a bit more efficient on offense, just a tiny efficiency uptick on offense, is enough for a handful more wins on a team that is going to defend because that's what they do. So I actually actually like the Knicks over quite a bit, even at a number that's already a tiny bit inflated. I thought they'd come in at about 38 and a half, maybe a win lower. And at that point, I thought, oh, we're going to have a whole bunch of wiggle room here. But I think the Knicks are a 500 team this year, or maybe even just a hair better, because they're also going to be fighting their way towards a play-in spot, which last season took 43 wins. So I think the Knicks look at this season, and they say target is 43 or higher. They're not going to tank until they are officially eliminated, if that even happens, because the Hornets are going to get worse. So they're sniffing that 9-10 spot, or maybe even a hair better, and I think the Knicks are going to play hard right from day one, which you always know you get under Tibbs. And that, friends and confidants, is at long last the conclusion of our season win total analysis. Tomorrow, we dive into ADP data. We've got so much stuff to do with it. You waited very patiently through six of these shows, and for that, I am grateful. Back to fantasy tomorrow. For today... Hope you guys found some stuff in these last few shows that maybe you can get some money down. I'm Dan Bespris for Fantasy NBA Today. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you Tuesday morning. So long for now.